Good morning. It's good to see you all again. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben, and I get to share the word with you all again this morning. Uh, man, it's really good to be together today, and it's really good to get to praise the Lord together and sing together. And uh, I just love the genuine heart for worship that I sense in this room. I hope you sense that as well. Uh, today, we're going to continue our uh, study through the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 John. We started last week with John, 1 John chapter 1. And um, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast or the online audio file on the Eastridge website, uh, just so you can sort of get a groundwork for the book of 1 John. It's going to give you some helpful things to think about as we spend the next several weeks going chapter by chapter through 1 John. And uh, we're calling this series, This is Love, because that's sort of the, the uh, quintessential theme of the book of 1 John, is the love of God and what that does to us. In fact, we're calling this, this like the, the uh, subtitle or the, uh, the tagline of this series is how God's love wins us, changes us, and defines us. How God wins us, changes us, and defines us. And so we're going to continue talking about that today. If you remember from last week, we talked a little bit about um, just what the book of 1 John is and who John is, John the Apostle. We talked about how he's the youngest of Jesus' disciples. He's, he's the one that uh, survives the longest. And when he writes these, these letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, when he writes these letters, he is writing uh, as the only living disciple of Jesus left. The, of, the, of all the 12, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples of Jesus, he is the only one still alive. And he's, he's writing uh, to sort of encourage and give sort of his, his final thoughts and his final uh, encouragement to the churches through the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And we saw last week that John is someone who had a really genuine heart for Christ. We talked about last week how uh, John was radically transformed by the love he experienced in Christ. And you just see it all through his writings, through, through the, the Gospel of John, through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his letters, through the book of Revelation. You see in him this adoration, this genuine intimacy, this real, authentic heart for the Lord. One, one of the things I've really appreciated and loved at Eastridge lately is, is uh, man, I love our music team on Sunday morning. I love, don't you love our music team on Sunday mornings? I do. Yeah. And I love, I love the genuine hearts for worship that I get to see every Sunday and genuine hearts for the Lord, people leading us in worship who just want to be close to Jesus. And when I see that, when I see someone like John who has that genuine love and passion for the Lord, and not only that, not just a sort of like rah-rah, emotional, I'm on fire, but also has deeply been transformed by that closeness with Jesus. When I meet someone like that, I want to get close to them, I want to listen to them, and I want to find out what they have to say about the life of faith. And that's what we're doing in the book of 1 John right? We're seeing someone who has been transformed by the love of Jesus in a way that we would desire for ourselves, so we get close to them. We open our minds, we open our hearts, we open our ears, and we listen to what they have to say. Last week in the book, or in the, in the first chapter of 1 John, uh, we, we talked about a number of different things, but we sort of highlighted and landed on one key verse. And I want to remind us what that was before we jump into the second chapter, give us a little bit of context. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we remember from last week, it said this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we talked about how for John, the answer to all of our human problems and all of our sin problems was not moral effort. For John, the answer was get close to the light. Stay connected with God. Stay aware of his presence and walk in the light. Anything that that starts to look like darkness, all the dark corners, all the dark shadows, don't go there unless we are bringing the light with us. Stay in the light, and in so doing, the blood of Jesus will purify us from all sin, not just forgiving our past. We talked about this last week, do you remember? Not just forgiving our past, but enabling us in the present moment to be free from sin. We said, we said the blood of Jesus isn't just our get-out-of-hell-free card. It's the I-don't-have-to-do-these-things-anymore card. It's the I'm-not-a-slave-to-sin-anymore card, and I can live a different way. And that's sort of like the key point, the, the high point pinnacle verse of chapter one. And the reason I bring that up is because it's important to remember where we started because today we're going to get a little bit more uh, like nuts and bolts of things. So John talks about these people who are walking in the light. And then in chapter two, he's going to get a little more descriptive, a little more details of what these people actually look like. And after one of the, the sermons last week, uh, somebody came up to me and said that the whole time they were listening, they were like, yes, that is something I want in my life. I want to live that way. I want to trust in Jesus, not only for my salvation, but also for my growth in Christ. I want to have that heart for Jesus. I want to, like, yes, I want this. How do we do it? How do we do it? And you may have noticed, uh, maybe if you're familiar with the writings of John, if you've read the Gospel of John, you may have noticed that John is not a super practical, pragmatic writer. He likes to talk more poetically about ideas and concept and images and sort of show, his goal is to introduce us to Christ in a new way rather than giving us a new system for living or new life hacks that we're going to sort of go by, right? That's not really his MO. He wants to do something a little different. But I was really grateful for that question last week because it made me think, how do we do this? How do we alter our hearts, open our hearts in such a way as to have a genuine relationship with Jesus that begins to change us? How do we become people who actually walk in the light? And what I recognized was we're actually, I think, doing it. For John, the way he gets transformed, the way he he gets the, the blood of Jesus purifying him from all of his sins, washing him clean again and again every day, is by staying deeply, intimately connected to Jesus and his word. And so by studying his word and by walking through it and by meditatively thinking about and praying through what it has to say, the blood of Jesus and and his spirit is actually doing something to change us. So when we come this morning or any morning, and we not even just Sunday morning, you can read the Bible. You you can read the Bible when it's not Sunday. You can. It's real. I didn't know that for a long time. when, when we, whenever we come to the Word, we have the opportunity for this supernatural, divine, powerful Word of God that is living and active, that is God-breathed, to actually begin to change us if we let it. And so when we come to the Scriptures, we're not just memorizing some new words or finding a new fact. We are encountering the divine Word that has the power of transformation. So as we walk through chapter 2 today, I encourage you to, put, to log some things away, write some things down, underline some things to return to throughout the week and meditate on and pray through. 
I've recently had a revolution, that sounds dramatic, a revolution in my devotional life of reading the scriptures with the Lord. It's been, it's been transformational for me. I decided, uh, I can't remember how long ago, less than a year ago, to, to get this new Bible that has these wide margins with lines. You can write things in the margins. And I was thinking when I got it, you know, I'm going to just write all my notes. I'm going to like write things that I notice. I'm going to study really hard. I'm going to get really smart about the Bible. And uh, what actually ended up happening was I would read just like a paragraph, and I just felt prompted to respond. So I started writing these little one or two sentence prayers of response after reading a couple paragraphs of the scriptures. And what started to happen was I slowed down, took in the scriptures on a different level, and began to be in conversation with them. Began to go, this is what I'm receiving, so this is what I'm speaking back to God. And I started to dialogue with God about his word. And you know what started to happen? The scriptures started to, to, first of all, stick in my mind and heart more and began to change me more. So when we're encountering the word, and as we go through all of 1 John, because you're going to notice all of 1 John is kind of like this. It's not super pragmatic. It's a little more poetical. It's really trying to, to introduce us to Jesus in a new way. As we do this, I encourage you to take things that jump out to you. Whatever the Spirit speaks to you on Sunday mornings, write them down, underline them, circle them, and then come back to them throughout the week and pray through them. Respond to them. Be in conversation about them with God. And I bet you, you will notice the Holy Spirit, which is given to us through the blood of Jesus, beginning to change little things in your heart. And so today, we're going to look at the sort of John's description of what it means to walk in the light. He gives us five or six main uh, adjectives that describe these kinds of people. I think this is important for us, and I'll start reading the scriptures in a minute. I promise I won't just talk the whole time. Well, I will actually, but I'll read some scripture too. Uh, the, the reason it's important for us to have these descriptions or these ideas of what a person walking in the light looks like is because we, as human beings, tend to begin to act like what we think about. That's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians says to think about whatever is good, praiseworthy, excellent, true, lovely, right? We, be, we begin to act like whatever we envision in our minds. So if I define myself in a certain way, I begin to act more and more in line with that. This, uh, this weekend, um, yesterday and Friday, I went through um, some lifeguard training. Anyone ever done lifeguard training before? Yeah, I went through lifeguard training and uh, for the, the summer camp that I get to lead, and I, um, I, that's why I can barely move today, uh, which, is, which is fine. But uh, what, one of the things they did, if you've ever been through the American Red Cross lifeguard training, they, they drill into you what a lifeguard is. They're like, a lifeguard is professional. A lifeguard is alert. A lifeguard is, right, all these different things. And they drill it into you over and over and over and over again, and that's because... Once you understand what a lifeguard is, you start to be able to more easily pick out the kinds of things a lifeguard would do. Does that make sense? And as, as sort of a practical, efficient, uh, utilitarian, 21st century person, I want to know what things I should do, right? What things I should do, and then maybe later we'll talk about what kind of person I should be. The scriptures often talk the opposite way around, especially the, the book of 1 John. What kind of person can we, ought we to be in Christ? And then out of that, we start to know instinctively what sort of things we ought to do, and we are empowered to do them. Does that make sense? 
So we're going to go through the book of, uh, through the chapter 2 of 1 John. We're going to go pretty quickly and just highlight some main things. So again, I encourage you to go back and meditate and pray over these. We're going to highlight what John says about what it means to walk in the light. So chapter 2, verse 1. We looked at these first two verses last week, but let's look at them again. It says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you do not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, John first is saying, before we talk about what we do, or how we behave, or what kind of people we should be, let us remember that we live firmly rooted on the foundation of our atonement in Jesus Christ. The fact that we are now at peace. Think about that. At peace with God. The God who created us gave us the world and gave us all the things we needed and all the knowledge we needed to thrive in it. And all the, all the laws of human nature that say this is right and this is wrong. And this God whom we turned our back on and in so many times, in so many ways in our lives, have gone against and have made ourselves enemies of, he now has made us at peace with him. And he says, John says, if you, I write this so that you don't sin, but if you do, remember that Christ has covered it. It's not about, you know, it's not about license to sin. You can do whatever you want. It's no big deal because Jesus has this covered. But he wants us to remember that we don't live out our salvation. We don't live out our righteousness out of anxiety or out of fear that we're going to get in trouble. We don't live that way. We grow in freedom. Think about that. We grow in Christ-likeness in freedom because of what he has done on the cross. So the first attribute that I see here of somebody who's walking in the light is that they are secure, or you might say at peace. They're secure. They're at peace. They don't feel the need to earn. They don't feel the need to strive for approval, for attention, for God's love, for human beings' love. They are secure in what Jesus has done for them. Can you imagine what your, uh, what your religious efforts would be like? I, I, I say religious efforts for lack of a better term, but think about Bible reading, coming to church, serving at church, going to small group. How might those things change if you knew 110% absolutely that you were at peace with God and you were secure in the love of Jesus? My guess is, if you're anything like me, you'd begin to do those duties a little bit differently, a little bit more freely, And they might actually start to produce more change in your life. And then he goes on, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. For John, walking in the light includes we got to keep the commands of Christ. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys, hang on to that word obeys, his word, love for God, is truly made complete. Hang on to that word complete. Made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So what, what John is saying now is that this love, this atonement, the next steps, it leads us into something that he defines as obedience, or they obey. Now for many of us, we think of obedience as something we do because of a threat of punishment, right? Oh, I don't want to get in trouble, therefore I'd better obey my parent, my boss, my whatever, Right? In the scriptures, and especially for John, obedience isn't that sort of thing, Obedience isn't, isn't sort of uh, self-defense. 
For, for John, obedience is a gift he gives in response, a gift he gives to Christ in response. For him, it is a reaction for what Christ has already done. The perfect obedience of Jesus inspires the imperfect obedience of John. And so he begins to learn to obey. And so the second attribute I see of somebody who's walking in the light is that they obey. They do what Jesus did, it says. And notice verse uh, 5 where it says that anyone who obeys love for God is truly made complete. Think about that. Love for God is truly made complete when we obey. How's that work? Well, he's going to explain it a little bit later in more detail, but what it essentially means is this, that God, through no merit of our own, in fact, we did everything not to deserve his love, but chose to lavish, pour out abundantly his love upon us through Jesus Christ. And so out of that, we begin to love God in return, and that love for God looks a whole lot like doing what he's told us to do. Looks like obedience. Think about if you've ever been in love, like maybe, maybe when you first met your spouse, or if you've ever been in love, like just that emotional, that, that constant feeling of being in love. Think about that. In that time in your life, those like three weeks before you got engaged or whatever, I don't know, whatever it was, was there anything you wouldn't have done for that person? Didn't you delight to do things for them? And when they asked you for something, it was oftentimes there was a response of like, yeah, I'll do that for you, sure. That's the response that, that John is inviting us to have in, in, for G, as, of God's love. When God's love is poured into us, we pour it back to God through obedience, through service towards him. And in that way, the circle is closed and made complete. And we are then living in a cycle of love with God. Think about that. Again and again, every day, every moment, getting love poured into us. And every moment, every day, giving it back and serving in obedience. And God's love through obedience is made complete in us. You see how for John, every duty of the Christian life is actually based on love. God's love first, our love in response. So the person walking in the light is secure. The person walking in the light is obedient and delightedly so. Verse 7, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new, com I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. All right, when we read these two verses, or when I read these two verses, I'm like, okay, most of the time, John, I'm with you. I like the poetic thing, but what in the world are you talking about? Do you remember last week when I said that most of, if not all of the themes from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are actually found in the Gospel of John, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, which is this last chunk of teaching Jesus does for his disciples before the, the crucifixion. Remember when I said that? There's all these quotes, verbatim quotes, and like paraphrase quotes from John 13 through 17, that John then just rehashes in 1 John here. And this is one of them. There's a spot in that final discourse, the Last Supper, where Jesus says, I am giving you a new command, although it's not really a new command. It's a very old command, and it is this, to love one another as I have loved you. So John is just repeating that. He's saying, this is a, not a new command, but it is sort of a new command. 
because it's given to us not, with, not in the old way of the old laws, right? Not in the this is what you must do, but in the Jesus has loved us deeply and in response we are empowered to love him and each other. So what John is saying is this is the new command. Love each other deeply just as Christ has loved us. Then he explains it a little further in verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves a brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So John says that a a mark of being a a Jesus follower is a deep Christ-like love for one another. A Christian or a a walking in the light kind of person is a loving person is a person who is able to offer hospitality and generosity to everyone they come across. And he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is not walking in the light, is walking in darkness, but anyone who loves a brother or sister is walking in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Imagine this. Imagine that you are trying to walk you know, walk down Sunnyside Road or, or walk, walk to the grocery store or just go on a walk somewhere but it's a totally cloudless night with no light coming from the sky and all of the power in the whole region has been shut off for some great emergency. Think it'd be pretty hard to see where you're going? Would there be something to make you stumble? Probably. There'd probably be curbs and and things in the road and, and, and rocks and things that you would stumble and trip on. And what he's saying is when we when we have hatred or resentment for other people, what it's actually doing is blinding us and making it very hard to walk without stumbling. Because with that sort of resentment and hatred comes all kinds of other temptations. We become selfish and self focused. That's a big one. We become ready to say things and and not use our tongue for healing, but use it for hurting. We become obsessed with our own justice, our own getting our own justice, but we don't actually uh, want you know justice for the things we've done wrong, only for the things we've done well. We become people who can't hear anything outside of our own little narrow train of thought. We become blind. We become deaf. We become tempted to, to lie even, to do all sorts of things we would never, never, never otherwise be tempted to do because we are maintaining hatred or resentment for somebody. So what John is saying is you want to walk in freedom. You want to walk seeing where you're going and being in the light. Love one another just as Christ has loved you. Somebody who's walking in the light is a person who is giving love. And, and I, I want to pause real fast. What? Yeah, I have a little bit of time. I want to pause real fast and just say that uh, the word love is pretty convoluted today. We don't really know as a culture what that word means. So if you don't know what that word means, what does it really mean to be a loving person? You can look at Jesus and he will tell you. He will show you, Right? Right before Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, when he said, I'm giving you new command, love each other as I have loved you, you know what he had just done? He had just gotten up from the dinner table, taken off his outer cloak, wrapped a towel around him, gotten a basin of water, and went around and washed the feet of each disciple, including Judas the betrayer. Jesus had washed the feet of his friends 
and his enemy and had done it sacrificially. And you know when Jesus said this, this new command I give to you and you should love one another as I have loved you, you know what he was about to do? He was about to be arrested, falsely tried, crucified, and buried for sins he never committed so that we could walk in freedom. Talk about sacrificial love. When you want to know what love looks like, look to Jesus. And that's how people walking in the light begin to act. It begins to naturally flow out of them. And then this moment, I love this. John, John is just so not like a, a, a logical, linear thinker or a writer. He's just this, this poet's heart. He's just ready to explode into song at any moment. So he does. In verse 12, he sort of explodes into poetry. And he says this. I love this. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. I love this. John bursts into song as he's thinking about what it means to walk into light, walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in, in the light, connected to God, in tune with him, conscious Constant conscious communion with him. What does that mean to be that kind of person? And he just sort of goes off into poetry here. And I want to point out, not so much, we, we tend to, I, I tend to, maybe this is just a me thing, but I think it's a cultural thing. We tend to look at who he's talking to, what kind of people he's pointing out. Fathers, children, young men, where are the young women? What's going on, right? We tend to look at this and think about who he's talking to, but notice what he's saying. Let me just read about what he's saying, okay? So he's talking to a, a whole group of people, the whole church he's talking to. And he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then he says, you know him who is from the beginning, and then he says, you have overcome the evil one. Think about that for a second. And then he says, you know the Father. You know God. Then he says, you know him who is from the beginning. He repeats that one. And then he says, you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you guessed it, you have overcome the evil one. This is a song or a psalm or a poem of victory. It's triumphant. For somebody walking in the light, the victory has already been accomplished. We're, we talked about this last week. We are not waiting for eternal life when we die. We are living in eternal life now. For us, the battle has been won. We have no fear of evil. We have no fear of hell. We have no fear of condemnation. We have no fear. One of my favorite, no, not one of my, my favorite author of all time is a nerdy guy from the early 20th century named G.K. Chesterton, and he says, Christ promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. <laughs> completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. I think that is true. We walk in victory, not worried about the trouble we're going to get into, right? Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, but, be, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. We will have trouble, and yet we walk fearlessly, victoriously. It is a great temptation as a Christian 
to get down on ourselves and to get down on the world and to walk around going, oh, nothing is right. The world is falling apart and I'm a mess and nothing, uh, and get just so inwardly focused that we miss the fact, we forget about the fact, we leave behind the fact that the victory is won. You have overcome the evil one, not because you did a great job, but because Jesus defeated, the the book of Colossians says that Jesus made a public spectacle of the the powers of darkness by triumphing over them on the cross. He publicly ridiculed them by being able to have victory through the cross. What Jesus has done means we walk victoriously. Sometimes I wonder, have you ever met religious people who are just super, super serious and kind of really down and always just woe is me and kind of like, oh, but I'm just humdrum and okay, I'm really, I'm really trying, but I'm not. And there's a time and a place for that, surely. Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows. Surely there's a place for that. But what John is saying here is we don't have, as, as, as people who walk in the light, we don't have to walk in the way the world walks, full of anxiety, fear, depression, scared of approval and not approval. And we don't have to walk that way anymore. We walk in victory. Why? Because we know him. Because we, we, we've triumphed over the evil one. So someone who walks in the light is victorious. And then he goes on in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. By the world, he's not talking about just like, you know, flesh and bones matter around us. He's talking about the world as in all the parts of the world, the universe, the culture that are not within the kingdom of God, that are not under his authority, all the, all the things that are under the authority of the evil one. It says, verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He lists three things there in verse 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So he's listing three things, pride, greed, and sexual lust. He's saying these are actually the three motivating factors for most of modern life. For most of our worldly, secular culture, not just today, but throughout history, people are motivated by greed, pride, and sexual lust. And he's saying you can pursue those things, but guess what? They are, notice what he says, they, these things pass away. The book of 1 Peter, uh, when, when Peter talks about this in chapter 3, he says, that the world and its present form is passing away. Present tense, it's already starting to decay. And I see that around me too. People I know who are just obsessed with greed, making it, having success, worldly success. The people I know who are just obsessed with, with acting out or, or are finding uh, some sort of satisfaction for their sexual desires. The people I know who are just absolutely obsessed with making a name for themselves, with that pride, with that ego, I see them already reaping the harvest from that, and the harvest from that is destruction. It is pain. It is a life that slowly caves in on itself, sometimes quickly caves in on itself. And I see that the world and its desires are already in the present tense beginning to pass away. And so John is saying, don't live that way. 
You know why? Because if you walk in the light, or in his words here, if you, if you do the will of God, you're, you're connected to a different kind of life, the eternal kind of life, and you're engaged in something that actually lasts forever. Don't spend your, he's saying, don't spend your time on these worthless things. Don't get bogged down and caught up in the, in the spider web of the worldly desires. Instead, focus, think through, refine, and, and live your life for things that will truly last. So the person who walks in the light is purified or pure. The person who walks in the light has a single focus. The great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says that purity of heart is to will one thing. He was a Jesus follower, and he said to, to, the purity of heart is to will one thing. And so instead of having all these desires that we're tangled up in in the world, we will one thing. We desire one thing. We hope for one thing, and that is for God and his will to be accomplished in our lives. Why? Because that's the only thing that lasts forever. And so we don't waste our time with the stuff that's passing away, but we focus on what will endure and then in verse 18, John jumps into another description of a Jesus follower, and it's, it's pretty convoluted, so we're going to kind of walk through it together, but, um, but know this. As John was writing this letter, he was writing it to kind of all churches, but specifically to, a, to, to, to house churches uh, that were in a network in and around the city of Ephesus. Okay, and it was going to be passed around that region. And in that region, there had been controversy, and some people had decided, you know, we're into God, we believe in God, we're still Jewish people, we like that, sort of, but not super into Jesus as the Son of God. Yes, he had some good moral things to say, you know, he was just like Gandhi or whoever. Does this sound familiar to anybody? But we're not really into him as divine Son of God, Messiah, so we're actually going to walk away and sort of do our own thing. We're, we think we can be moral enough on our own. And we'll, we'll include some of the teachings of Jesus, but we're not really going to worship him. We're going to walk away, and we're kind of going to, and, and this, is, this to me sounds really familiar, we're going to kind of look down on everyone who still thinks of him as divine, and we're going to mock them. And in fact, people at this time who had left the Ephesian church were mocking John and the other apostles for what they believed, these primitive beliefs about Jesus. And so John is writing into that situation in verse 18 when he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. So what he's saying is, and, and don't get hung up on the word antichrist. I know that has lots of connotations from the book of Revelation. We're not in the book of Revelation right now. What he's saying is people who are anti-Christ. People who are against Christ. Who are saying Christ is not really the Son of God. And he's saying there are many people like that around you right now. They're all walking away, but I want you to know this. If they had known, remember last week when we talked about it's not just about knowing about Jesus, but it's about hearing, seeing, feeling, touching. It's about experiencing Jesus, having that deep, intimate, authentic, personal connection with Jesus. He says, what John is saying is if they had really done that, if they had really had that deep, intimate, real connection with Jesus, there's no way they would have walked away. If they were really drinking from the fountain of life, as Jesus says in John chapter 7, if they were really doing that, there's no way they would have run to empty wells. 
He's saying, don't worry when your people around you, your friends, are abandoning the faith. This is a big word for me. Because a lot of people in my generation who I grew up in the church and, at, and in Christian ministry with are just jumping ship. And John is saying, don't worry. Don't worry. You know why? Because if they're walking away, it means they never had that connection in the first place. So maybe now they're actually being more honest about where they're at and there's a greater chance for that real connection with Christ to, to occur. So he says, they may have gone, but they didn't belong to us in the first place. It is okay. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. He's saying, you have received the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. It's that word know again. It's that intimate knowing, that experiential, have you heard, have you seen, have you tasted, have you touched? I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah. Such a person is an anti-Christ, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what he's saying is, don't, get, don't, don't freak out when people say what you believe about Jesus is just a lie. Because what really is lies, what really is deceit, is denying that Jesus is the Son of God. He said, that's the real lie. That's the real thing. And he says, and he, he makes this very clear too. He says, don't think you can have the Father without the Son. Some people will say, I, I heard this just last week from somebody I grew up working in Christian ministry with and somebody I really respected and admired and wanted to be like when they told me they weren't a Christian anymore and they said, I still believe in God, but not so much Jesus. And what, Paul, what, what John is saying is that cannot be the case. Because God has given you a way to know him. Isn't that amazing? God has given you a way to know him. You know what that way is? It's Jesus Christ. And I think I've used this metaphor before maybe, but it's like God gave us his phone number. He says, I want a relationship with you. Will you call me? Jesus is how you do it. Here's my phone number. And instead, some people, instead of taking this phone number, which is Jesus, and talking to God through the method he gave us to talk to God and have a relationship with God, some people want to take their cell phone and just dial all kinds of random numbers and get frustrated every time it's not God on the other end of the line. If you want to know God, you must always go through the, the method of self-disclosure that God himself has set up. We must go through Christ. So what John is saying, don't fall for it. If they belong to Christ, there's no way they would have walked away. Don't fall for it. They're actually stuck in a lie when they say that. Don't fall for it. There is no such thing as God without Christ. There is no such thing. He doesn't want us to get bogged down in that. And then he says, as for you, verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. And this is what he promised to us, eternal life. See to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Tend the roots. Water the plants. So often we think of, if something is true, I shouldn't have to worry about it. I'll always believe it, it'll be fine. But if we plant something in a garden, can we just leave it alone and hope it bears fruit? If we want our faith to grow and bear fruit and become a big tree full of good things to eat, we must tend it, water it, think deeply about the scriptures, meditate on them, pray, come together as believers in church and in small groups. We must 
tend our faith. We want it to grow and, and, and bear fruit. And then he says, and this is what you have been promised, eternal life. Notice this. Notice this. John equates our relationship, our intimate relationship with the Son and the Father in verse 24 to eternal life in verse 25. He says, this is just so clear, eternal life isn't waiting for you after your heart stops beating. Eternal life is found in Christ and through Christ with the Father. And that intimate relationship, the eternal kind of life begins to grow within you. Remember last week we said that it's not so much about quantity of life as in living forever. That's part of it, but it's about quality of life, a kind of life that is so alive, so connected to God that it can survive anything, even death. The eternal kind of life is ours for the having in this deep relationship with God and with his son, Jesus. And then he sort of lands the plane on this section by saying, verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about, I'm writing uh, these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and, and as that anointing is real, He's reminding you that anointing, that spirit you have from Jesus, it is real. It is not counterfeit just as it is taught to you. Remain in him. John is saying, if you walk in the light, you are faithful. It's the next attribute he points out to us. He says, I know people are dropping. This is a word for our times, my friends. I know people are dropping like flies all around you. And you know what? They are reaping the reward for that. You, I, I ask my friends who've walked away from Jesus all the time, two, three years into that journey away from Jesus, I'll just ask them, how's it going? How's it going? And their response almost always involves tears because there is no life apart from Christ. There is no life apart from Christ. And what John is saying is don't worry about all that. You have an anointing. It is real. It is not counterfeit. The spirit is within you. That is true. That is real. He is guiding you, leading you forward, teaching you so that you can grow into him. So remain in him. He's saying stay faithful. People who walk in the light, stay faithful. And then this is the the last sort of attribute of uh, people who walk in the light that I see in this section. Verse 28 and 29, he says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. He's saying we are looking, as people who walk in the light, we look forward and we look upward. We look forward to our eternal destiny with Jesus to him coming in fullness and power and setting all things right, all the broken things in our lives and throughout the world, setting them right. Hallelujah, he's gonna do it. And we look upward to our example, who in the book of Hebrews it says is the author and perfecter of our faith. We look upward to Jesus. People who walk in the light are people who, walk, who look forward and who look upward. So John just sort of gives us some descriptions, and I'm sure there's more in here that I missed, so please go back and pray through, think through, chew on this, this text. Have I said that yet today? Uh, and he says that, that if we walk in the light, we are people who are secure in the love of Jesus. We're people who are obedient, and in being obedient, the, the love of God is complete in us. 
We're people who are loving, who offer generosity and hospitality and open arms to anyone and everyone around us. We are people who walk in victory, not defeat. We are victorious already, even before sin is done away with. We are victorious. We're people who are purified from the world. We don't need those temporary delights because we have something that will last forever. We are people who are faithful. We don't give up. We don't bail because we know that what we have received is true and lasting. We are people who look forward to Christ's coming and setting things right and upward to the example and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And then just to make sure we get it, John goes back to the love of Jesus. Let me jump into verse one of chapter three. He says, so see, do you see? After all this, do you see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. Do you see what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be children of God? That God would take the time to see us as his children and to gently, humbly, and wisely help us grow up into spiritual adults, would help us walk in the light. Do you see what kind of love the the Father has lavished on us that we, sometimes when I see my friends that, that are just like turning away from the faith and I'm like, ah, they must never have known Jesus or experienced him the way that somehow I got to experience him. And I just think, God, how is it that I, of all people, because some of these people are just a lot better humans than I am. Trust me, they're just a lot better than I am. And how is it that I, of all people, still believe? When somebody asks you if you're a Christian, do you go, yes, of course I am, and start to get defensive? Or does gratitude well up in your heart? Yes! Can you believe it? I am. God wanted me. God calls me his child. Can you believe that I am a Christian? I can't believe it. That's where John lives. That's his everyday experience because he's walking in the light. And the more we do that, and that light begins to transform us and change us and make us new, the more we will look around at our lives and be like, I can't believe it because the Father has lavished incredible, lavished, incredible love on us that we should be called children of God. So as we look at this, don't walk away with another list of things to do. I've got to be loving, got to be faithful, got to be secure, got to be, right? But walk away with the fact that God's love is your foundation. It is made complete as you interact with God and serve him, and that you can walk connected to God in the light, and his spirit will begin to change you into that family likeness. So you look more and more like his son, Jesus. Let me pray and then we'll close in worship together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your vision of sanctification or of holiness or whatever we want to call it is not one of moral effort. Thank you that your vision is one of staying really closely connected with you and letting you do the work in us. And yes, Lord, we have to work. We have to work hard. But it is our joy to do so because in so doing, we're just giving you back the love that you gave to us and we're just caught up in it. God, I ask that this week you would help us to interact deeply with your word and with your spirit, that it would begin to change us, create subtle tweaks in our hearts that would then create big changes in not only our lives, but in the world around us, through us. We love you so much, God. Thank you for calling us in your name. Amen.